Todd, we know the end. We know about you. Some are better at talking than listening. Probably true for all of us. I won't ask your wife if you're a good listener, men, or sometimes ladies may not be the best listeners either. Young people can fail to listen. Parents sometimes don't listen. Maybe we feel like our fellow church members don't listen. I'm glad that God listens and God hears. God knows. Um, But it's true, sometimes we don't listen. Last week we were exhorted from um, Philippians to love truth, to to make it such a priority in our lives that we're willing to make sacrificial Uh, make sacrifices to obtain a precise and accurate knowledge of the truth, but also then not just knowing it, but living it out and applying it to our lives. So very practical on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. Our flesh wants to do one thing. We know what the Bible says, and we love truth more than we love ourselves. We love What God is saying to us more than we love what our flesh desires to do, and therefore we choose the truth, the way of truth. And of course, I love how clear it was there in Philippians chapter 1, where as Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, he tells them why. He says, love truth so that you'll have clarity, so that you'll be able to know the difference between right and wrong, and know what's the difference between that which is okay, that which is good, and that which is excellent. So love truth because it gives us clarity, but then character, character, who we are when we're all alone, who we are when nobody else is around. And so he says love truth because it gives clarity and character and then Christ-likeness. And we saw all of that from that passage in Philippians chapter 1 last week. So we've been exhorted to love truth Make sacrifices for the truth. Remember, buy the truth and sell it not. Buy truth, don't sell it. Never sell it. Keep buying it. Make it an investment. Love the truth. I We come to Numbers chapter 22, and I want to look at one of my favorite Bible stories in all of the Bible. And I want it to stand out in our minds um, as an illustration for what not to do with the truth. So last week was love truth. This week is what it looks like when you and I choose not to listen to the truth. Uh, What it looks like when we sometimes maybe even hear it, it's presented to us, we read it, the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ within us leads us into the truth, and yet what it looks like when we choose not to listen to it. Are there ever times in your life when you are careless with the truth or casual with it? You know, it's not that important, not that big of a deal. Maybe even sometimes we go through an entire day and we don't look to the word of God. Or maybe there are times where uh, God's people are gathering and the word of God is going to be preached or taught and we choose something else rather than coming to hear the truth and loving the truth. Right. We've done these things. We've made we've been casual with the truth at times. We've been careless with it at times. And if a love for truth results in clarity and character and Christ likeness in our lives, um, being careless with the truth, truth would result in the opposite. Um, Instead of clarity, there is 
confusion. And instead of character um, and integrity in our lives, there is um, a facade. It's, we're, we're disingenuous. We, maybe we're good at pretending. We, we develop the ability to pretend, to project what we want, but that's not who we truly are on the inside when we're not loving truth. And then there's not Christ-likeness when we're being careless with the truth. Actually, it, there's almost a spirit of antichrist within us um, where we're, we're living for ourselves and not living for the Lord Jesus Christ, and Christ is not seen in us. So loving truth is at the heart of what it is to be a Christian, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis. But what does it look like when we choose to be careless or casual or not to listen to the truth that God is giving to us? And I want you to see it in this passage, Numbers chapter 22. We're not going to read the entire thing right up front before we pray, but I want us to to start into the story and then we'll stop and we'll pray. Uh, Some of you have probably heard this story before and some of you, maybe this is your very first time hearing it. It's one of my favorites all the Bible. Let's look at it. Numbers chapter 22, beginning in verse number one. The Bible says, and the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side, Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. No, King Balak, and the word was spreading that the Israelites, they were on the move and they were having success, okay? They were defeating these other kingdoms, uh, most recently the Amorites, verse 3. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company, the Israelites, lick up all that are round about us as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. So what does he do? He's concerned. Israel is on the move. God is blessing them. They're they're having victory after victory over the enemies of God, those people who'd who'd been rejecting God for generations. And uh, King Balak is concerned. He says, we're going to be next. We have to do something about this. So look what he does in verse number five. He, King Balak, sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, that's the main character in our the text today, Balaam, Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor. So that's about 400 miles, this journey. King Balak sends messengers about 400 miles to go to a man named Balaam, which is by the river of the land of the children of the people, to call uh, him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot, or I understand, that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with rewards of divination in their hand. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? Now, I have a question for you. Did God know who these men were, yes or no? 
Um, God always knows. He knows everything. The Bible teaches us that. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Why did God ask Balaam that question, do you think? Well, I think he wanted Balaam to stop and to think, who are these men? What are they after? Is this a good thing? He wants Balaam to think. Sometimes God asks you and me questions, and it's not because God doesn't know the answer. It's because he wants you and me to stop and think, is this a good purchase? Why why do you really want to buy that? Why do you really want to go there? Why aren't you willing to do this? So sometimes God asks us questions or brings questions to our minds, not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he wants us to stop and think. And he asked Balaam this question, and Balaam, in verse 10, answers God, and Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them, peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. So here's the scenario. You've got this King Balak, king of the Moabites. You've got Israel. They're being victorious. God is blessing them. King Balak realizes what's happening through the people of Israel. And he looks at himself and his kingdom and he says, we're next. And then he remembers there's this man, Balaam. And Balaam has a reputation When Balaam would curse someone or a people, they were cursed. And when he would bless those people, they were blessed. So King Balak thought, if I can get Balaam to come and curse the people of Israel, then I will be able to be victorious over the people of Israel. If Balaam won't come and curse the people of Israel, then there's no way that I can defeat them. And so he sends his entourage 400 miles to Balaam, and he says, I want you to come. I want you to curse the people. God comes to Balaam at night and says, who are these people? Balaam says to God, these are the people. They want me to curse the people of Israel. And then God answers Balaam in verse 12, and he gives Balaam his final word on the matter. These are the words of God. Look at verse 12. And God said unto Balaam, thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people for they are blessed. Now, there's a lot that's going to happen this morning during the sermon. There's a lot that happens in this narrative. A, a donkey's going to talk to Balaam. Uh, God's going to send one of his angels with a sword drawn in his hand that was very close to taking Balaam's life. God is going to speak to Balaam multiple times. Think about that. God, Balaam is going to hear God's voice Multiple times, God is going to deliver his truth to Balaam. And we're going to see all of this. He starts out with giving Balaam his word. What is Balaam going to do with God's word? Is he going to love it? Or is he going to sell it? And in this passage, Balaam is willing to sell it for something that he thinks is more valuable. And I ask you this question before we pray. What are you doing with the word of God? What are you doing with how the spirit of God is moving in your heart? He's leading you into the truth. He's speaking the truth, his truth to you. He's guiding you into all truth. The question is, what are we doing? How are we responding to the truth of God? Let's pray. And then we'll look at this passage. Father, help us, I pray, as we study your word this morning. 
I do pray that you would lead us into truth. I pray for husbands and fathers in this room, that we would be godly men who fear you and keep your word and love truth and make sacrifices for truth and lead our families to do that. I pray for moms and uh, wives in this room, Lord, and ladies in this room. I pray that they would love the truth. They would not sell it, not for anything. I, I pray for young people in this room. I pray that they would love truth as well that they would be hearers of the truth and they would love it and listen to it and learn it uh, and live by it. Father, help us to remember this, this story that you give us in your word about this man, Balaam. Help us, I pray that your Holy Spirit would remind us of this story in the days to come. And I pray that we would be able to answer the question whether or not we are like Balaam. I pray for Trinity. Help us to love the truth. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, it's very obvious to me from this passage that Balaam chooses not to listen. And I, I, I look at Balaam. He was, a re, he was a rebellious man. That's what he was. He was an idolater. He loved materialism. He loved stuff. Uh, ultimately, he's not able to do what he sets out to do in cursing God's people. Of course, God told them, you're you're not going to curse the people. You shouldn't go with them, and you're not going to curse them. That's the end of it. Now, Balaam goes anyway. Um, ultimately, he opens his mouth to, to curse God's people, and out from his mouth comes blessings. So he can't even do what he set out to do. Eventually, Balaam, in an effort to get some sort of materialism for himself and wealth for himself, he ultimately teaches King Balak, he says, your men, the Moabites, are never going to be able to defeat the Israelites in battle. But your Moabite women can defeat the Israelite men. And you send your Moabite women into the men, and you will, you will cause them to sin against God, and God will actually bring judgment against his own people. So that's... That's Balaam. This is who this man is. Now, I want you to think, and I want us to learn from Balaam's mistake, and I want us to avoid his end. And so I think there are three marks as I look at Balaam's life, three marks in the life of a person who is not listening to the truth. And maybe that's you this morning. You say, I don't know that I love the truth. Um, I, I'm, I am making other decisions. I'm having other priorities. The word of God is not a priority, the priority in my life. So if, if we're choosing not to listen to God in his word, his spirit, what can we expect? What are some of the marks of a person who's not listening to the Lord? Number one, a person who is not listening to the Lord will resist the word of God. Resist the word of God. Now, it, I say that it's not... Open, outward, obvious rebellion at first, at first glance. It's just the resistance. You know, God speaks and we kind of go, oh, and I ignore it and I forget about it. And I move on to something else. I'm distracted. I busy myself with other things in life. But notice that Balaam resisted the word of the Lord. Look at verse number 13 as we continue. And Balaam rose up in the morning. Now remember, he, God has just given him his word in verse 12, right? Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And how does Balaam respond to this? Well, he rose up in the morning and he said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. 
Now, at first glance, I read this, I say, good for you, Balaam, you're doing the right thing. Verse 14, let's continue. And the princes of Moab rose up and they went unto Balak 400 miles back and said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam. So they're getting frequent flyer miles. And said to him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. So Balak is, is he's really putting on, he's really putting on the sail, the cell, right? He's pushing him. Um, you, I know you said no. I know you said God wouldn't let you come. He sends his princes back with more rewards. And he says, let nothing, don't let anything stop you from doing what I want you to do. In other words, not even what God says. Do what you want to do. Do what I want you to do. But don't, don't let what God tells you to do keep you from doing what I want you to do. Look at verse 17. He continues, for I, King Balak says to Balaam, will promote thee unto very great honor. And I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. Verse number 18. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold. By the way, King Balak hadn't said anything about his house full of silver and gold. Do you notice that? That was in Balaam's heart. <laughs> King Balak hadn't said anything about that. That was just in Balaam's heart. But Balaam says, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, Balaam says, I pray you, tear ye also here this night that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. There's a lot going on here in this narrative, but I, when I read these verses, you know what stands out to me? I see very subtly Balaam is resisting what God is saying to him. He's resisting what God was saying to him. The word of the Lord was clearly spoken to Balaam in verse number 12, right? Uh, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people for they are blessed. And yet a person who's not listening, and Balaam was not listening, he's resisting the word of the Lord. A believer that isn't listening to what God is saying finds himself trying to get around what God has said. Have you ever found your, your desires to be, in, to be in contradiction with what God wants? Have you ever been there? I've been there. We've all been there. You have flesh. And our flesh is in contradiction with the Holy Spirit. Every day, we, there's a battle that rages within us. I would ask you this, is there a battle raging? Or are you just going along with the flesh? Because if you're going to say yes to the Holy Spirit, if I'm going to say yes to the Holy Spirit, my flesh does not like that. Okay, there is a battle that rages. Uh, and so sometimes our desires are in contradiction with what God says. Does a saved person ever resist the truth? Does a saved person ever resist God? In the book of James, when James penned down the words of God to those Hebrew believers, he had to tell them, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil. They had to be told that. And we have to be told that as well. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, 
resist the devil and he will flee from you. We have to be told that. And the reality is every single one of us in this room at times have resisted God. And when we resist God, whether we know it or not, we're going, we're following after the leadership of the devil in our lives. And when we follow after the leadership of the devil in our lives, we're resisting him. And God says the opposite. He tells us, no, you need to submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In the book of Romans, chapter 7, the Apostle Paul very transparently says this. He says, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So a believer who is resisting the word of the Lord is choosing their own flesh over the leadership of the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And that person is consumed with their fleshly desire. And I believe with all my heart, Balaam was consumed with his desire. What was his desire? Well, we see it very obviously in the passage. His desire was for King Balak's house full of silver and gold. That's what Balaam wanted. And I do. I find it ironic. King Balak sends his messengers back to Balaam and he tells them uh, he, he, he's in verse 15. He sent yet more yet. Uh, yet again, princes more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and they said unto him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. Not even the word of God. Verse 16, verse 17. For Balak says, I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. And Balaam's answer seems spiritual at the moment, but it exposes the desire of his flesh. He says, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. It, it was consuming him. Now, I don't know how much time had passed between King Balak's first entourage that came and said, come, curse the people, we'll pay you to do it. And the second entourage that came back to him and said, don't let anything stop you from coming. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. You, you tell me what you want. I'll give it to you. And, and, and Balaam's response is, he verbalizes it, the king's house full of silver and gold. I don't know what, I don't know. We know it was consuming Balaam. I don't know what's consuming you. Each one of us have different custom made, custom designed temptations for each one of us in this room. And for one person in this room, it may be alcohol. And for another person in this room, it may be pornography. For another person, it may be a godless, wicked temper. Or maybe just fearful thoughts that just won't ever seem to go away. And you're consumed by those fearful thoughts. And you don't struggle with, with a desire for alcohol. But it's your everyday uh, sin of unbelief, living in constant fear, not trusting the Lord. What are, what are the things that consume you? What, what do you consider to be more important than God's word? Maybe they are hidden sins. Maybe it's some entertainment of some kind or on hobby. Or maybe it's your family. Or maybe it's success, the success of our children. That can dominate us. And we can turn that into a God. Maybe it's a program or a ministry. Maybe it's the political 
world in which we're living, maybe it's some sort of music or video games, or maybe it's ju it just boils down to worship of self. Are you consumed with what is offered to you by the world and the devil? I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 2. Listen to this. This is very practical for us. 1 John chapter 2, in verse number 15, I'll read. It says this, love not the world. Don't have a sacrificial love for the world. Now, what is that? What is the world? What is worldliness? What is, what is that which is worldly? Because here he tells us, don't have a sacrificial love. Don't make sacrifices for the this that we call the world. And the world uh, would refer to our society. It would refer to our culture. It would refer to materialism or impure sexual lust and self-directed interest and covetousness. And he defines it further in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You can look back to Numbers 22 if you've left. But I ask you this morning, are you overwhelmed by the lust of your flesh, and the lust of your eyes, and the pride of life? Because the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those things can never be satisfied in this world, or by anything in this world. Things in and of themselves are not evil. Money in and of itself is not evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. But sometimes the lust of our flesh and the lust of our eyes says, it looks at it and says, wow, that's good. The pride of life says you should have it. You shouldn't have to. You deserve it. And it doesn't matter if it's a new boat or a new house or redecorating or another person's husband or another person's wife. Or maybe organizing your life the way you want it to be. I'm talking maybe as a teenager, your parents have set some parameters for you and you're saying, no, I'm not going to abide within these parameters. I'm going to go live my life according to my parameters. It's worldliness. All those things are worldliness and they're ungodly. But I tell you this morning, this world is full of idolaters, people pursuing these things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You and I battle it as well. But everybody who has ever chased after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, everyone who's ever chased after worldliness, none of them have ever been satisfied by what they have obtained. The relationship never satisfies. The, the possessions never satisfy. And what I'm telling you is this. You can never be satisfied pursuing the things of this world. Now, Balaam, and you might have noticed it in the passage, he's resisting the word of the Lord. And someone who's not listening to God, someone who's not listening to the word of God, they're characterized by resisting the word of the Lord. 
And I, I think it's pretty subtle in the passage. I, and, and I want you to see it with your own eyes. Look at verse number 13. And, and I, I submit to you that Balaam blames God. Now, this is very subtle. He's resisting the Lord. At first, he's not just saying, nope, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do my own thing. He doesn't do that. Look at verse number 13, the latter part. He tells, um, as he rises up early and he tells the princes of Balak, he says, get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. Look down to the end of verse number 18. Uh, Balaam says this again to the messengers of King Balak. He says, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, I think Balaam was blaming God. I think very subtly. It sounds almost spiritual. God says I can't, and so I won't. It almost sounds like that. I don't think it, I don't think it was spiritual at all. I think Balaam's heart was full of covetousness and idolatry. I think he loved himself more than he loved God. I think he wanted so badly to have, and he knew God well enough to know that he couldn't go against God and succeed. He knew that intellectually. Oh, he doesn't believe that here. He knows it here. And I think his struggle was, this is what I want, and God God doesn't want me to do it. And he comes to Balaam's or King Balak's messengers, and very subtly he blames God, God won't let me go. Sometimes children do that with their parents. I can remember uh, when I was a little boy coming to church and, and uh, maybe I didn't have my chores done at home or whatever. And one of my friends would ask me, you know, hey, uh, Seth, ask your dad, if you're your mom, if you can come over to my house this afternoon. And I knew my chore wasn't done or whatever. And so I'd go and ask my dad, though, you know, put him on the spot in front of other people around. So, you know, he maybe would be kinder than if we were just the two of us and have mercy upon me. And I would say, hey, dad, Matt wants me to come over. Is that OK? And uh, maybe mom or dad would say, no, did you do your chore? No. And I'd go back to Matt and I would say something like, my dad won't let me go. That's what's happening here. Balaam, this is not spiritual. Balaam talks to these messengers of King Balak and his attitude is, God won't let me go. That's the the spirit of Balaam here. A, A person who's resisting the word of the Lord, he blames God. And, uh, I would ask you, are you blaming God for what he won't let you do? Do you have that attitude of, I really want to, but God won't let me? Because it's, it's, a, it's part of resisting the word of the Lord. Not only does he blame the Lord, but he also attempts to break God down. He, he attempts to wear him down a little bit. Look at verse number 18. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, I pray you, he's talking to these servants of King Balak, I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. Balaam, God already spoke in verse 12. Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. What else is there to know? 
And uh, But Balaam here, he's consumed with his own fleshly desires. He's consumed. All he can think about is this house full of silver and gold. And if he could just get there and make this trip, this King Balak has told him, you name it and I will give it to you. I would even describe it as a blank check. Whatever you want, you write in the number. And in our world, the philosophy of our world is that way. Chart your own course in life. You decide who you're going to be. You decide what you're going to do. You decide how you're going to worship or who you're going to worship. You decide who you're going to be. And it's gotten to the point in our world today where it's even gone so far as it's you decide if you're a, a, a man or a woman. And I, I and, and, and we can respond to that and we could say, we could, we could abhor that, but I dare say that spirit is abhorrent no matter where it is found to God. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not just a matter of a minority of people, of citizens within the United States or within our world today who who are involved themselves in homosexuality or, or lesbianism or these sodomy, those sort of things. It's, it's, the, it's the attitude that leads us to that end. I will be who I want to be. I will do what I want to do. I will serve the God I want to serve. And if it's the God of the Bible, then I will serve him the way I want to serve him. You see, there's this air of rebellion it may end up there, but it is rank the entire way, and God is displeased with it. And I dare say it shows up in all. It's a battle that every single one of us face uh, and fight on a daily basis. Are we going to submit to God's plan for our lives? Are we going to submit to his instruction for us on a daily basis? I think we can understand the attitude of some who say, well, I want to identify as this better than we would like to admit. Because on a daily basis, we who are saved, who are indwelt by the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are a part of the family of God, who are the children of God, on a basis, to make decisions, I know I'm, a, I'm, I know I'm your child, I know I'm a Christian, but I'm today, in this moment, I'm going to identify with the world. It's the same thing. It's the very same thing. This happens because God finally says, okay, go ahead. And he holds back his grace. And he holds back his mercy. And he says, okay, you, you don't want to identify with me. You don't want to follow me. Okay, go ahead. And he gives them over. And that's what happens in Balaam's life. 
Balaam, it begins pretty subtly. He's resisting the word of the Lord. He blames God. He attempts to break God down. It's like children who keep going back to their parents and asking again and again and again for their permission to do something that they know their parents don't want them to do. Oh, Mom, Dad, you know, my friends are going, you know, uh, there are going to be adults somewhere in the county. Um, we'll come home eventually, you know. Um, and the mom and dad are like, no, we've already been through this. I told you no. That's, that does not fit into what we think is safe and appropriate for you, or we don't think it's best for you. We don't think it's wise. And the, so the, the daughter or the son goes away, you know. And the slough of despond because their parents won't let them do what they want. And then they come back, you know, with another, make another run at it. You know, I cleaned my room, <laughs> made my bed. <laughs> I got something to confess, you know, and then we try to get mom and dad to change their mind. I think that's what Balaam was doing here. He, he looks at these princes of Balak and he says, uh, I can't go against the word of the Lord. He's blaming God, but don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. And let's see what God says tonight. Maybe he'll change his mind. And when I look at this man who's characterized by rebellion and not listening to the Lord, um, one, of those, one of those marks of someone who's not listening is that they resist the word of the Lord. As believers, we need to be diligent to receive what God is saying. Psalm 119, verse 16, the psalmist wrote, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Not only does Balaam resist the word of the Lord, but secondly, he runs after the world. So a person who's characterized, whose life is characterized as a person who's not listening to God, it starts out pretty subtly, just a resistance toward God. And what he says, just a resistance. And, you know, we blame God. You know, well, I, I don't I don't do that. I can't do that. And then there's this attempt to break him down over time. But eventually, and with Balaam, it happens pretty quickly. It turns into running after the world. Do you remember in the New Testament? I think it was in the gospel. According to John, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And, and it's a mark of someone who loves the Lord, who keeps their commandments. It's not because they may, there, there's discipline involved, but it's not because of their upbringing necessarily. It's not because of where they went to college. It's not necessarily because of the church they attend. It's because they love the Lord. It's because they love the Lord. It really gets to the heart of the matter. It's not because of the, the rules that they have. It's because they love the Lord and they want to know his commandments and they want to keep his commandments because they love him. And that was not Balaam. Balaam did not love the Lord. He didn't have a heart for God. And you know what? God knew that. And God knows our hearts this morning. He knows where our hearts are. He knows if our hearts are inclined toward him. If we really want to know the truth. And if we really desire to do the truth, I mean, we all fail at times. We all disobey at times. That is, that is reality that I, we all wish was not the case. But I ask you this morning, is, where is your heart? Is your heart inclined 
toward the truth and to obeying the Lord? Or is your heart, have you put up some walls and you're just not willing? You don't want to know what God says in those areas and you don't want, frankly, you don't want to do what God says in those areas. Because that's where Balaam was. And I believe that God responded to Balaam according to where he was. Look at verse number 20. And God came unto Balaam at night and he said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. How do you think Balaam responded to that? (laughs) Yippee, I won't do it here to maintain some decorum this morning. I think he was jumping around, you know, I think he was just having a good time. I think he was so thrilled. And ultimately, you know why? He didn't care what God wanted. He didn't care what God said. He was going to have a house full of silver and gold. He was going to get to do what he wanted to do. He was going to get to live his life the way he wanted to live his life. And I don't think Balaam heard the rest of the words that God spoke to him that night. Look at verse number 20. God did continue. He said, Yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. I think this is this situation in Balaam's life, I think is true or is commonplace in believers' lives in the day in which we live. Just because God doesn't restrain you from committing the sin does not mean that God approves of the sin. Just because your computer doesn't have a meltdown doesn't mean that it's okay with God. Just because you're still having some success in athletics in high school when your, your respect and honor to your parents isn't what it ought to be doesn't mean that God is okay with your disrespect and dishonor to your parents, you see. But, but Balaam, Because he's not listening to the Lord, he's resisted the word of God. Now he he runs after the world. I think God's words were drowned out by Balaam's ambition and his dreams and all of his thoughts. In Jude, verse 11, the Bible says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Remember Cain killed Abel and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. And perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Speaking about Korah in Numbers. Where Korah opposed Moses' leadership. He opposed, therefore, God's working through leadership in his life. And Korah suffered the consequences for that. But in Jude verse 11 where he talks about Cain and Balaam and Korah. All three of those men have something in common. It was rebellion against God. It was rebellion against what God was doing and what God was saying. For Cain, it was God had said, you need a blood sacrifice. And Cain, a gardener, uh, was upset with his brother Abel who obeyed the Lord and was pleasing God and he himself was not pleasing God. And so in anger and vengeance and bitterness, he kills his brother. And here Balaam, God has spoken to him and he said, Thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. What was Balaam's error? He was a rebel against the truth. 
Now this is interesting to me because he was a man who knew the truth. He was a man who heard the truth. He was a man who God spoke to. I mean, there are people in our world today and they have general revelation in the sense of creation uh, that declares, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork, right? So even a person who's never heard a sermon or never gone to a Christian school or never had Christian parents to teach them the word of God and the truth, even those people have truth, okay? But Balaam had truth in the sense of God spoke to him. Balaam knew what God's will was. And many of us can identify with Balaam in that. We hear the word of God spoken to us. We have, we have personal copies of the word of God in our homes that literally tell us God's will. We who are saved have the Holy Spirit living within us to guide us and lead us into all truth. The Old Testament speaks of it this way, and ye shall hear a, a, a voice behind thee saying, this is the way when you turn to the right hand and to the left. So we actually have the Holy Spirit of truth living inside of us and teaching us and leading us in truth. And my question for all of us here this morning is, what are we doing with the truth? Our world around us says, what is truth? Find the, find the media outlet that you appreciate, and, and that, that's it. And everybody accuses each other of believing lies and those sorts of things. And, and I say to you and to me, we have the truth, but what are we doing with it? Are we listening to it? You know, because Balaam chose not to listen to the truth, he ran boldly. Look at verse number 21. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass. It's an old English word for a donkey. And went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. Now, we, we might say, wow, wait a minute. Lord, you told them in verse 20 that he could go. God told him he could go because, like in Romans chapter 1, he's giving him over. God, knowing Balaam's heart, knows you don't love me. You don't, you don't want the truth. You don't care about the truth. All you care about is you. And so, you know what, Balaam, go ahead. Go ahead and go with them. Only the words that I'm going to tell you are the words you can speak. Balaam doesn't hear that. I'm going. He, he was so bold in his going. Proverbs 16 and verse 25 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. You know, had Balaam listened at all, he would have clearly known not to follow after the world. He would have known not to go to King Balak. He would have most certainly would not have been bold in his following, but Balaam thinks he can dis disobey the word of the Lord. He thinks he can fulfill the lust of his flesh. Do you think that? Do you really think you can get away with it? Do we really think that we can follow the world and enjoy the blessings of God and enjoy his protection and enjoy his provision and enjoy fellowship with him and communion with him on a daily basis? Do we really believe that? In Isaiah 65 and verse 2, the Bible says, God says this, he says, I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts 
a people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face. He ran boldly. He also ran blindly. Look at verse 22, and this is getting better and better as we go along. Look at verse 22, or maybe I should say worse and worse. God's anger was kindled in verse 22 because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against Balaam. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. And the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyard, the wall being on this side and the wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. This is like animal abuse. Verse 26. And the angel of the Lord went further. This is the third time. And stood in a narrow place where was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled. And he smote the ass with his staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass. And she said unto Balaam. What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times? This is the donkey now talking to the, the prophet. Okay, And Balaam, this is even more humorous to me, Balaam said unto the ass. He's speaking back. It's one thing if an animal speaks to you, but if you start speaking back, might be a little, little concern there. And Balaam said unto the ass, because thou hast mocked me. <laughs> I would there were a sword in mine hand, for now would I kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? I wonder if animals keep track of these things, you know? <laughs> Gus is like, I've been your dog for three years, and this is how you treat me? This is the food you bring to me? You know, I, I wonder if they think this way. I mean, the donkey did, obviously. So she asked that question, was I ever want to do so unto thee? Have I ever done any of this before? And he said, nay. And I think that's humorous too. Verse 31, then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed down his head and he fell fat, flat on his face. You know, God actually had to, for this man who would not listen to God, who was characterized by resisting the Lord, who was running after the world and into destruction, God literally had a donkey speak to him to help warn him. Sometimes we as pastors feel like the donkeys. Sometimes parents can feel that way, I suppose, children. How does, how does Balaam respond to this? What's he going to do with this? A donkey has literally opened his mouth and said to him, you know, they've had a conversation. This would be a memorable experience. How's he going to respond to this? Well, he's running boldly. But he also runs blindly, right? And, and notice how Balaam responds. He rejects the warning. And this is the third mark of someone who's not listening to the Lord, is they resist the word of God. They run after their desires. And ultimately, they reject the warning. 
And this is what happens in Balaam's life. And it's so sad. Look at verse 32. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Now I have to say, this is interesting. God sends his messenger down to Balaam. Balaam's life is in jeopardy. We got all kinds of spiritual problems here. But the first thing the angel of God asked Balaam is, uh, why are you beating your donkey? That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, Behold, I went out to withstand thee because thy way is perverse before me. And the ass saw me, the angel continues in verse 33, and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her alive. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displease thee, I will get me back again. And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, go with the men. But only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou shalt speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. You know, God sent Balaam a warning. The Bible says that God is full of mercy. The Bible tells us that God is gracious, that he is loving, that he is long-suffering, that he will suffer long with you and me, and he will, and he does. But there comes a point where God says enough is enough. And he, he, he has this donkey speak. He, he reveals an angel of God with a message of God. God himself has spoken to Balaam. And yet Balaam still won't receive the warning. He fails to repent. Did you see in verse 32? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, the angel of the Lord says, because thy way is perverse before me. Balaam wouldn't admit that he was wrong. Now, he does say in verse 34, I have sinned. But did you notice what he says in verse 34, the beginning part? I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Balaam, your sin against God is not, your sin is not that you almost rode over the angel of God with your donkey. That's not it. Your sin against God is not your ignorance of, oh, oh, so you didn't want me to go. No. Balaam, you knew this. But Balaam says the right thing, doesn't he? He says, I've sinned. I didn't know. I didn't know. Yes, you did, Balaam. Yes, you did. You did know. And so he fails to acknowledge that death was his payment. He fails to ask for forgiveness. He ultimately fails to fulfill his desires. He never gets what he wants. If you're a believer this morning and you're rejecting the warnings of God, there is destruction ahead. And so in some way this morning, I'm the donkey this morning speaking to you. And I'm saying there's an angel of the Lord. There's destruction ahead. The New Testament passage would be Galatians. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption or destruction. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It brings forth destruction. It'd be wonderful if maybe a husband and wife in their marriage would heed the, the warning of the donkey. 
heed the warning of the word of God and turn away from their sinful ways. It'd be wonderful if maybe a teenager this morning would say, you know what, I'm not going to play around anymore with my sin. I'm not going to dabble in it and and kind of feel bad about it. And I know I shouldn't do it, but I keep going back to it. And I keep going back to it. And I keep going back to it. And God hasn't destroyed anything yet. He hasn't taken away these things from me yet. I'm just going to keep dabbling in it. It'd be wonderful if maybe a teenage young man or a teenage young lady would just say, you know what, as for me, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to listen to what he says and I'm going to yield to what he says. I'm going to obey what he says. Balaam's lusts were never satisfied. He tried three times. It's so interesting to me when I read this passage in verse 33, you know, the angel says, they asked, saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely I had. Uh, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her alive. Angel says, you'd be on the end of my sword and the donkey would still be alive. You're beating her when she's telling you the truth. If it weren't for her, you'd be dead. And then he says at verse 35, go with the men, Balaam. This is a fearful place to be, by the way, if you're there. If you have persisted in your sin, and you've persisted in your sin, this is a fearful place to be when God finally just says, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Your marriage is going to be destroyed. Your relationships are going to be destroyed. Your family is going to be destroyed, but go ahead. Now, God is faithful. He forgives. Heaven's your home if you're a child of God. But there is so much that can be lost in this life. And there is so much, so many rewards that can be lost in the next life. I mean, eternal rewards that can be lost in the next life. And he goes on. We're not going to take time to read a whole lot more. But look down in verse 23, the beginning part. Balaam makes it to King Balak. And he, King Balak, or King, or Balaam says to Balak, build me here seven altars and prepare me here seven oxen and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a bullock and a ram. Look down to verse 11 of chapter 23. And Balak said unto Balaam, what, or or, or so then, I'll I'll just summarize. So Balaam, he he offers these these, uh, bullock, right? And he steps to the edge and he opens his mouth to curse the people. He's so close to getting his reward and out, and you can read about it in chapter 23. Out comes blessings. Out of his mouth come blessings. And King Balak is furious in verse 11. And Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took, I took thee to curse mine enemies. And behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. And he answered, Balaam answers and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? We won't take time to read it, but if you go on to verses 13 and 14, they go to a different place. And again, uh, Balaam opens his mouth to, to curse God's people. He's so close to a house full of silver and gold. And out from his mouth again comes blessings. And Balak again is furious. And he says, I brought you here to curse God's people and you're blessing them. You're going to make them stronger than they ever were before. Then Balaam looks at King Balak and says, I told you I couldn't go against the word of God. And, and King Balak says, well, let's go to a different place. And they do it a third time. And Balaam again walks to the edge of the cliff and he opens his mouth to curse God's people. He just wants what he wants. And out of his mouth come blessings a third time. King Balak is furious. 
Ultimately, you read about it to chapter 31 and verse 8 of Numbers, and you find God's people were victorious, the Israelites, and a number of kings were killed. And one of the men who was listed in verse 8 of Numbers 31 is a man by the name of Balaam. He died at the edge of the sword. And what I'm saying to you this morning is don't let your life be characterized by not listening to the Lord. Do you remember Hannah and Elkanah, her husband? They had a baby boy, Samuel. And uh, Hannah brought him to the brought him to the high priest. She had promised God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. She brought him to the high priest, Eli, and Samuel lived there from a little boy. He grew up. And on one particular night, the Bible tells us that God came to Samuel at night and he said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel, a little guy, he gets up and he thought it was the high priest, Eli, and he, he runs into the high priest. He wakes him up. Eli, Eli, you called? Eli, you know, he's a high priest, a little grumpy maybe, I don't know. He wakes up, says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Samuel goes back to bed. He lays back down. Again, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel gets up, thinks it's the high priest. He runs back into Eli, wakes him up. You called? And Eli says, I didn't call you. But then he perceives that this was God speaking to Samuel, young Samuel. He tells him, this is what you need to say when God talks to you again. Samuel goes back to bed. I don't know if he went to sleep or slept very soundly, but he goes back to bed. And again, the word of the Lord came to him, Samuel, Samuel. Do you remember what Samuel's response was to the Lord? Speak, thy servant heareth. Speak, thy servant heareth. Can we be a church that's characterized by that? Not, not Balaam, a man of great reputation, a man of great power, a man who heard God's words but didn't listen, and then a small boy who heard God's words and said, speak to me, talk to me, tell me what you want. And I'll obey your voice. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand to your feet with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Is there anyone here this morning who'd say, Pastor Ferguson, the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. His words brought the gospel to me. His words told me about my sin and my Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, I received the words of God, and I believed upon Christ, and he saved me from my sin and death and hell, and I'm a child of God. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you would say with uplifted hand, Pastor Ferguson, I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Would you raise your hands that I can see it if that is you? Thank you for your hands. Let me put them down. Many hands in this room. I want you to know this morning, if you could not raise your hand, you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, and he will save you. He will save you right now. Believe in him. Call upon him, and he will save you. 
for Christians this morning, what are you characterized by? Are you characterized more like Balaam? You hear the word of God again and again and again. You have donkeys speak to you almost. Angels, swords drawn in their hand. And yet, are you persisting in disobedience? Or, or are you more like young Samuel? Speak, thy servant heareth. I want to do your will. I want to love the truth. How many of you would say, lifted hand this morning, Pastor Ferguson, would you pray for me? I want to love the truth. I want to love it. I see several hands to my right, some to my left, and in the middle. Thank you. I see that hand, sir. You may put it down. I'm going to close with a word of prayer, and then Pastor Scott's going to come, and we're going to sing a hymn together. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us. Lord, thank you for your salvation. You are the one who who are, are saving us. You have saved us from death and hell to come. You are delivering us from this wicked world and sin today. Lord, you know our hearts. You know where we're at. Thank you for suffering long with us. But Lord, this warning this morning, may we heed it. I pray for some in this room who have been dabbling in sin for a long time. And you are on the verge of saying one more time, go ahead. But they know that you are opposed to it. Father, I pray that there would be repentance. I pray that there would be a hatred for sin. I pray that there would be a cry for help. And Lord, I pray that you would deliver by your might. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.